Awesome, guys. Well, we're going to jump in. And as you know, we've been in a series called War of the Worldviews. And if you haven't watched the, the previous messages, I want to encourage you, this is a great resource to go and, and say, what do I believe or what, what am I supposed to believe? What are the things that really are the, the tenets, the doctrine, the, 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 the core ideas of being a Christian, being a follower of Jesus? And we've covered the three fundamental questions. What is real? What is true? What is right? We've talked about it in a lot of different ways. But today, I want to kind of cap off this series or uh, move us towards the end of this series. I don't want to promise we're going to end, but I, I think this is it. So we'll see. We'll see. Don't, don't hold me to that. Uh, again, the word of the day is tentative, okay? Tentatively. But I wanted, to, I wanted to talk about this message that we've been going through, War of the Worldviews, and talking, talk about winning the War of the Worldviews, but not winning it in a way where we were like, man, I, I've delivered the best argument. These are the facts, and I've used my truth sword to cut off your ear. No, but winning in a way of actually winning people, right? We believe, we know that truth matters. And I want to hear an amen even through this. See, truth matters. We've talked about this. Truth matters so much. When truth falls, justice fails. We, we find that in a culture where we can't agree on truth. We also can't agree on what's right. And we have this conflict that even rages right now. There's, there's conflict always in the world, but right now there's a raging storm and it's around the concept of truth. What is truth? What is ultimate truth? We know that, but here's the problem is that on both sides of whatever issue it is, whether you are right or wrong, we don't win when we win an argument. We actually lose. You see, right now we've got people of all religions and worldviews and different things yelling at each other yelling in an echo chamber where everybody inside agrees with you and, and actually, you know, gives you more confirmation of your confirmation bias. It's like if you go and scream in your echo chamber, all you get to hear back is your own echo and you go, man, it's so loud and so that's right, I'm right, I'm right, I'm right. Um, and then we go and we yell at the other side and we, we, we weaponize our words and we go, you know, on the attack. And let's say that you just absolutely deliver the most incredible you know, uh, dialectic. You just give this incredible Facebook post. It was the Facebook post to end all Facebook posts. And you slayed them, right? Your meme game, your, your GIF game. I know it's pronounced GIF, but I call them GIFs and I'm not apologetic about it. You slay them with your memes. My memes are, ah, the Facebook post to end all Facebook posts and you win the argument. But what you did is you wounded that person or you ended that relationship, you burned a bridge, and now you actually can't accomplish your mission. Okay, we don't have college football this year, and I know some of these other places are saying they're going to play, and I know there's like Conference USA. That doesn't matter. If the Ducks aren't playing, there's no college football. Okay, can I get an amen? So I know there's no college football this fall, but let's talk about football for a second in honor of this, to, to just, you know, really sit in our, our wounds on this. In football, you'll hear a team, they'll lose. You know the score, it's 49 to 45, and the Ducks are, are, are on top, right? And it's the Huskies, right? Always screaming, we got more yards. We had three interceptions. But it doesn't matter. Because football, the score is 49 to 45. It's not about who got more yards, who got more interceptions, who looked better, whose uniforms were nice. It doesn't matter. Who won the game? Who had more points at the end of the game, right? And, and I know my wife always jokes about this. The announcers are always like, you know, it's going to come down to who has more points at the end. Yeah, no duh, John Madden, right? We know, okay? Thank you, Kirk Herbstreit. We get it. But, but yet people will argue, oh, it's the yards, it's the yards. Okay, let's, let's take this analogy. Let's take this example. 
being a Christian, you slay somebody. Facebook posts to end all Facebook posts. You, you, you just totally expose the bankruptcy of their worldview. Man, how stupid they are. And you go, man, I got more yards. But you lost the game because the, the, the win is not in winning the argument. The win is in winning people to Christ. The win is not in destroying your neighbor, but loving your neighbor. The win is not that you got your point across and now they have to sulk off and get mad and try to figure out how to come back at you with bigger weapons and better arguments. The win is in winning people to not your side, but the side of the kingdom, winning people to Christ. This is why Paul says in Ephesians chapter six, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. And yet right now, what are we doing? Wrestling against flesh and blood. If you're a Republican, if you're a conservative, Democrats are not your enemy. Yes, they are. No, they're not. If you're a Democrat and you think the people that voted for Trump are your enemies, no, they're not. We, all of us as human beings are living on this planet and we basically at a core level probably want most of the same things. And all of us are on the side of being enemies of God who've been given this great gift of grace in Jesus and we're all beggars and we needed to be telling the other beggars where to find bread, not, not fighting against flesh and blood. He says, your battle's not against flesh and blood. You're against the principalities and the powers, these, heavenly, these rulers in the heavenly places. We're fighting a spiritual battle here and we don't win by winning arguments. We win by winning people, which means carry, carrying the grace, speaking the truth with love, a winsomeness of winning people, not to your side, but to Jesus, this is what winning the worldview, the world of worldviews really means. So let's talk about this. Let's watch Jesus in action. I want to jump into the scripture here in John chapter 4. This is a, an incredible masterclass of evangelism, of conversational, relational evangelism that Jesus shows us, where he, he, could, he could really destroy this person that he speaks with, but he doesn't. He, he wins her through his words. He's winning the war of the worldviews, but he's not winning the argument. He's winning the person, which is ultimately what it's about. Okay, John chapter four, verse four. It says, Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John. Though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He's on the move. And there were basically two ways that you would leave Judea and go to Galilee. Galilee being in the north, Judea being in the south of Israel. You could go down the hill from Jerusalem into Jericho and go in the Dead Sea Valley and go that direction. Or you could go the northern route. And most of the time you would actually go through Jericho. And the reason why is there was this place called Samaria between Jerusalem and Judea and on the way to Galilee. And Samaria was where the Samaritans were and they were a mixed race and mixed religion. They were basically kind of like, and this is not giving you the most accurate picture, but it'll give you an idea. They were half Jewish, but half pagan religions. And they mixed these things, and the Jews didn't like them. They, they hated them, and the Samaritans hated the Jews. But Jesus says he had to go through Samaria on the way, and eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. Now I want to make a note here. This is a hot Middle Eastern arid climate, and when you go to draw water is in the morning or the evening. You don't do it in the middle of the day. Furthermore, the women from the city, from the village, would all go to draw water at the same time. So the fact that there's a, there's a solitary woman going at a different time gives us a little bit of a clue about some of the things we're going to find out about this woman, being that she probably is some, somewhat of an outcast or a pariah in her community. Jesus says, please give me a drink. 
Now, I hear people like talking about the spiritual connotation of this. What did he mean when he said, please give me a drink? Was he, he was thirsty, guys. That's all it means, right? He was thirsty. And it says he was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. Verse 9, the woman was surprised for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew. I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. And now this conversation begins to shift. And she says, but sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket. And this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Now, I want you to, I want you to see something here. Here's Jesus, okay? And I know that we all think, well, you know, if Jesus showed up today and he had a conversation with me, I'd be like, oh yeah, I'm totally going to respond. But here's the Messiah. Here's the son of God, the savior of the world, having a conversation with this woman and she doesn't get it. She's locked into natural thinking, which many times we all are. We only see one solution. We've tried it all before. Most people think, well, you know, um, I've tried religion. I've gone to church. Church people are jerks. No, you went to a church or you went to 10 churches and you met 10 groups of jerks, but that doesn't mean all Christians are jerks. And, and even if they are jerks, it doesn't invalidate the message or the truth. But they go, oh, I've tried that before. Maybe that's you. You're like, well, I, I would go to church, but it's church people. No, that's an excuse that gives you, a, you know, ostensibly a free pass to stop looking into what Jesus is saying and stop responding to his call. But even if every Christian on the planet were like a jerk, doesn't mean the message of Christ isn't relevant because those two things are, are different topics altogether. Now, Christians, we shouldn't be jerks, right? We should be representing Christ well. But many people get caught up in this one way of thinking, this natural thinking like, well, no, like, how could you give me this water? She dismisses it, okay? Because she doesn't get it. She doesn't see at this level that, that he's talking at. But he goes on in verse 13, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I will give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Because she's like, okay, that sounds pretty good. I, I don't want to be thirsty anymore. I don't want to have this thirst. She says, I'll never be thirsty again and I won't have to come here to get water. Jesus says, go and get your husband. And she says, I don't have a husband. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband. For you have had five husbands and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Now, I want you to put yourself in this conversation. Weren't we just talking about water? You ever been talking to people and they just go like, woo, where do we go? This conversation went a different direction. So they're talking about water. Here's this woman. She comes out to the well. Um, she's all by herself at noon. So she, she's, she's isolated, but we don't fully know why, but Jesus knows why she's there. And so they're talking about water, talking about thirst, talking about being thirsty again. And this conversation begins to go a different direction. And he all of a sudden calls out this personal problem. He says, go get your husband. And she's like, I, I don't have a husband. And he says, you're right, because what he's beginning to do is transition the conversation from the natural to the spiritual, from the surface to the depths, from water from a well on a hot day to water in your soul that gives you life beyond just the things of this world. She says in verse 19, sir, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worshiped? 
Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, this, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And you're going, okay, why are we talking about mountains and Jews and Samaritans? What does all this mean? We're going to come back to this, put a pin in it. But she has a personal problem. Now she says, I've got this religious problem because I am confused about mountains. I'm confused about where I should worship. I'm confused about the right way to approach God. And I want you to see here that this is, in this conversation, there actually are three things, and we've looked at two of them, but three things that tend to be objections or areas that keep people from engaging with Christ. And that's the second one. He says, look, soon that's not going to matter. You're confused, and the Jews have more revelation, more light about this. Salvation comes through the Jews, but, but, but that's not going to be the thing that will stop you. Okay, let's go on. In verse 25, the woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Now, this is something here where we have to be really clear about Jesus. If you're like looking to the claims of Jesus and you're like, he's a great moral teacher, he's a prophet, he's a good guy, he was a revolutionary, he, he did good things, but he's not the only way to God, but he's not the son of God, but he's not, he's not like the only door, the only gate. You, you have to take some of these statements that Jesus makes. And like C.S. Lewis says, any person that makes claims at the level that Jesus made them, he either is a liar he's a lunatic, or he's actually telling the truth, and he's Lord. And you can't have it both ways. You can't say Jesus was a great moral teacher, but he makes claims. He says, I am the Messiah. He's claiming to be the anointed one, claiming to be the, the way to God, the one that's going to save everyone. He, you couldn't make these types of claims, and the kinds of claims he makes other places in scripture. This is a bold proclamation. In verse 27, it says, just then his disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman. But none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her or why are you talking to her? The woman, in other words, these guys were being passive aggressive, right? They're like <laughs> grumbling, don't be passive aggressive. Okay, the woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Okay, we're going to look into this. I want to give you a couple of thoughts about this passage and how we can win people and the way that that works, the way that Jesus had this conversation and how he connects with this woman. Okay, so first thought is this. Let's go back to the beginning of the story. Jesus simply has a conversation. He simply talks to somebody in the midst of a normal day. Okay, he's tired. It says he's weary. He's been on this long walk. It's hot. He's thirsty. He just wants a drink of water. The conditions aren't ideal. Jesus isn't going out on a Friday night to hit the streets and evangelize. I love this because I'll post things on Facebook like, hey, let's invite people to church through digital means and I'll get these curmudgeons on my Facebook, you know, like, we're, we're, we need to hit the streets. The only way we need to evangelize, hit the streets. What does that even mean? Like I've gone out and done street evangelism and we, it's not super effective. Am I telling you not to do it? No, do that, but don't ignore other stuff. But the problem with these people who are like, hit the streets, hit the streets, is you're a jerk and you actually turn more people away from Christ the other hours of your week that you don't spend hitting the streets than you do when you go out and hit the streets. So step back, Pharisee. Here's the thing. 
If you live your life as a lighthouse for the gospel and you shine the light of Jesus on normal days when you're tired and thirsty and you're not in ideal conditions and you're not going out to evangelize people, you will actually win people to Jesus. Come on. Jesus is just on, he's just on a normal day. He's out for a walk. I take a walk almost every single day and, and going out in the world, I interact with people. I had to save a dog from, from dying, falling out of a car the other day. And I prayed for the lady that let the dog and she gave her life to Jesus. No, it's not what happened at all. But I saved a dog. There's, there's moments, you know, just walking around in life where you have conversations. I've had times where I'm out of my walk and I'll start talking to somebody and find out, oh, you know, you've seen, you've seen us on TV. You've seen our Facebook ad or whatever. Invite him to church. It's, it's just being out in the world, being normal, just like what Jesus is doing here. He's not out to evangelize. He's out to live his life and he's being an evangelist. Do you see the difference here? So this is what we need to catch. And you go, man, you got a little heat behind this. I get attacked on Facebook, so I get a little mad about it. But geez, I'm a little salty, okay? Let's be honest. Jesus, he just talked to somebody in the midst of a normal day. Reframe, okay? Don't, don't go into evangelism mode. Now I'm in evangelism mode. Well, let me get my booklet so I can make sure I do it right. Just talk to people about Jesus in the midst of your normal day. Number two, Jesus started a conversation And I can't emphasize how important this is to just start conversations. And you go, what is the point here? Well, the point is when you're out on your normal day, you're just doing your thing and you see people, start talking to them. Start a conversation. Ask them a question. There's no deep spiritual thing here. The reality is that conversation leads to connection, which leads to divine moments, which leads to people finding Jesus but you can't get to those divine moments until you start those conversations. We live in the most connected world that has ever been. You can literally find out any information in about three seconds, pull out your smartphone, Google it, and you've got the answer. You can talk to thousands and thousands of people. We've got YouTube. You can listen to every message. You can go on Facebook and communicate. You can go on Twitter. You can connect with millions of people, and yet most people are desperately lonely for a real conversation with a real human being face-to-face or wherever it may be. And you can do this on social media, but what if you just went looking for opportunities to connect with other humans just in an authentic way? Start a conversation, and you never know where it's going to take you. I remember my dad uh, was my soccer coach growing up, and we had like three or four seasons where we were literally undefeated. We were really a good team. And you would think watching our team operate like this finely honed, you know, 12 and 13 year old boy machine of goal scoring magnificence, you know, and and amazing defense. I was the center uh, fullback. So I was like the enforcer, slide tackling, you know, all that kind of stuff. I think I scored two goals in my entire soccer career, mostly by accident. But my job was to keep the other team from scoring. And I was kind of mean. I was like that big bully kid who was, you know, hurting the little kid's Go cry to your mommy and get better shin guards next time. You know what I mean? So I'm kidding. But our team, we, 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 we won every game for three or four seasons. And you'd think, well, these guys, they must be like the, the German national team. They're doing all these drills. And here's Steve Schmelzer, the coach. You know, he's getting them to, you know, run these drills. And here's this alignment and this strategy. No, not at all. Our entire strategy was this. On defense, kick the ball out of the middle. On offense, kick it into the middle. That was it. That was the whole strategy, all the tactics. The rest of it was all motivation Literally, our practices, soccer practices, people, other kids are running around and they got the, the dad who has like the, you know, the, 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 the jumpsuit, whatever. He's got a whistle and he has a visor and he looks like really professional and he's got them running around cones and all this kind of stuff. 
my dad, we'd show up 10 minutes late in our Volkswagen, you know, diesel rabbit. He'd throw the balls out there. He'd get him out there and be like, you guys scrimmage. And then, you know, he'd yell at us for an hour. That was our soccer practice, okay? We didn't have tactics and strategies. The only strategy was, I want you to hear the simple brilliance of this, when the ball comes on your side, kick it away from the middle. When the ball is on their side of the field, kick it into the middle. And here's why that worked. Here's why we were going like 18 to zero, why we were scoring seven goals to one. I mean, why did we dominate for three or four straight years? Because all the opportunities happen by putting the ball in the middle of the field where good things can happen on offense and getting it out of that side on defense. Somebody's going to take their soccer team to the state championships because of this coaching talk right now courtesy of Pastor Steve, right? My dad. Kick it in the middle on offense. Kick it away from the middle on defense. That's it. That's it. That's the whole strategy. Why? Because opportunities, good things happen when you put the ball into play. I, was, I am not a good athlete, like softball or anything, basketball, but I know you can't make any buckets unless you actually shoot the ball. I know that you can't score any baseball runs unless you put the ball into play. So the whole, whole job you've got as a baseball player is get that bat on that ball and put, make something happen. Run as fast as you can to the get on base. That's it, guys. Let's, now you go, why are we talking so much about sports? Because I want to. But let's talk about evangelism. It's the same thing. If you want to see people come to Christ, if you want to make an impact, if you want to see good things happen, you've got to put the ball in play. You've got to kick the ball in the middle, which means starting conversations. Because when you are full of the Holy Spirit and you're so full of God and full of joy and you're full of, the, the, of truth and you start having conversations, people will suss you out. They'll figure you out. They'll be like, man, this, I'm hearing this. And you, oh, you go to church. Where do you go to church? Well, I go here. What if instead of like going into evangelism mode, right? It's like Iron Man gets all ready to go. No, what if you were just like nice to people, started conversations and let the Holy Spirit work in those moments where you're kicking the ball into the middle of the field? What if you started conversations and let good things happen? Okay, and then what do we do in these conversations? Number three, Jesus shows us that there are three things that tend to be barriers or obstacles of people coming to faith. And there are three problems that everybody deals with at some level. One of them might be the primary, one might be a secondary, but they're all there. And Jesus uncovers these three problems. They are personal, spiritual, and religious. Just write those down personal, spiritual, religious. The first one, her personal problem, and everybody has a personal problem. What's her personal problem? She has five, has had five husbands. Now, I'm not like a marriage expert, but I think if you're on your fifth, you're doing it wrong. It's just my opinion, right? Don't get offended. Third, you're fine. You're, you're within the barrier. No, I'm teasing. But five marriages... Five times in relationships, and, I, and if you are in this state of mind, you know, if this is where you are, I'm not judging you. I'm making light of it. I understand that everybody makes mistakes. I'm not being critical of you. But let's be honest. If you're on five, you, you probably are aware, like, yeah, I think I've messed it up, right? And it probably wasn't like, well, all five were just dog, you know, dirt bags. No, it probably was something happening in that thing. So she's had five husbands. The one she's living with now is not her husband. What does this tell us about this woman? Well, it tells us this, which we all get into this place, that she's trying to find water. She's trying to find satisfaction from men, from a relationship. You know, there are, every one of us, we try to compensate for this God-shaped hole in our life. Even Christians that have Jesus, we still get pulled aside to think that something else will satisfy us and, and satiate us, solve that pain, bring a balm to our soul, 
other than God, other than this being complete in Christ. And it's a lie every time, whether it's alcohol and drugs, whether it's trying to make money, whether it's relationships, whether it's sex, whether it's honor, whether it's being looked at in a certain way, whether it's the approval or validation of your parents or your family, whatever it may be, we think if any, anything that tries that we try to, to get fulfillment from other than God, it's a personal problem. And every one of us has this has something that is a personal problem and it's, it's trying to get that fulfillment from anything other than God. And Jesus says, this is your problem. This is what it is. When you have conversations with people, they're going to tell you, probably in the first five minutes, give you clues or breadcrumbs to their personal problem. Oh yeah, how's your day going? Oh, it's going pretty good. Well, you know, actually I got my kids and I did this and this and that. And they're, they're, there's breadcrumbs, okay, to the personal problem. Jesus speaks into this. Number two, the spiritual. This woman needs a savior. She's talking about the Messiah. Who is the Messiah? She's aware. And I'm not going to go into great depth here, but every one of us, we're not just bone and blood and DNA and biology. We are. uh, There's a physical component of who we are as human beings, and there's a non-physical, a spiritual or a soulical component. And we we, we have a craving for spiritual fulfillment and, and spiritual meaning, spiritual truth. And whether people admit it or not, that is a spiritual problem looking for answers. This is why I always find it to be the height of irony for a person who says there is no God and yet they want to go convince everyone else that there is no God. Why would you? That's like being a person who goes out and hunts the Easter bunny with a bow and arrow. If you don't believe in it, why do you focus on it and spend so much time trying to convince everybody? It's not like I run around going, there is no tooth fairy! Doesn't exist! Tooth fairy does exist because I got money, under my pillow, so there's valid empirical evidence of the tooth fairy's existence. Hear, hear what I'm saying here. Why would a person spend so much time wrestling against the question of God or the idea of God if they didn't have some spiritual force pushing, the, trying to make sure that we were all on the same page and agreed with this? See what I'm saying here? It's because there's a need for spiritual fulfillment. She has this, who is the Messiah, needs a savior. And then the third one, this is a, one I want to focus on a little bit more, is the religious problem. Okay, the personal issue, the, the spiritual, the religious. She's talking about where should I worship? And the Jews had actually destroyed the temple on Mount Gerizim because it was abhorrent to them. They destroyed it. And the Samaritans were not allowed to come to the Jerusalem temple. They were not permitted to worship there. Now think about this in, in, our, in our modern times and the connotation of this. This woman perceived that for her, even if she wanted to be a Jew, even if she wanted to follow God, even if she wanted to, she wasn't permitted because she was a Samaritan. I can't go to your temple. So maybe your God, maybe your faith, maybe your religion has hope and life, but I can't go there. I don't belong. I don't fit in. How many people think right now today, maybe even you watching this right now, well, I can't go to church. I can't go to Skate World slash Joy World. I can't go. I can't walk in the doors. I can't be on a connect group because I'm, I'm a sinner. Like I don't belong. I can't worship at your temple. I can't go to church with you. I can't go to connect group because I don't belong. I have too many tattoos. I've been in too many relationships. Pastor Jake was teasing me about having five husbands. I've had eight. So I don't belong. Now listen to what Jesus says. He says, look, you're right. The, the right way to worship God is on this mountain, Jerusalem. It's the Jews have salvation. They, they have the truth. But Jesus is saying here, I'm coming to show you that pretty soon it's not going to matter what mountain you worship on. It's about worshiping in spirit and truth and everybody can access God through the Messiah, 
through the water of life. Maybe you're listening to this today and you're like, well, I don't belong in Christian subculture. You don't have to become a Christian robot. Become a follower of Jesus. Worship him in spirit and truth. There is a place in the family of God, in the house of God. Our, this church building that word, what we're building in our church as a community, it's not off limits to anybody. Whatever background you have, whoever you are, whatever you've done, okay, you belong in the family of God, not because of who you are and how worthy you are. No, the opposite, because the, Jesus has made a way and he's inviting you to worship God in spirit, in spirit and truth. How many people in our community that we could have conversations with are like, well, I go to church, but I don't belong. And we're like, well, you know, if you cleaned up your life a little bit, no, that's not the answer. The answer is come to Jesus and get redeemed and get restored and get saved. These are the problems that everybody has. There's personal, there's spiritual, there's religious, and they're going to come up in different ways, but you're going to be looking for them. But creating spiritual thirst starts with finding out what people are thirsty for. Because ultimately, what does Jesus do? He doesn't say, oh, let me counsel you about your five husbands. You need to go to that man and you need to tell him. He doesn't do that. And he doesn't try to figure out, well, you know, the Samaritans and this is how we solve this problem. We redefine the geopolitical lines. We can develop peace and we can, if we, you know, if we break down the injustice and if we do this, we'll fix all the problems. Why would you mess with all the things that don't matter when you can cure the root, which is that people need Jesus. What is the answer to all three of her questions? I am the Messiah. Jesus says, you have a personal problem, girlfriend. <laughs> you have a spiritual problem. You need the water of life. You're thirsty and you can't get a drink. You could drink all the water out of this well and you'd still be thirsty. And you have a religious problem. Yeah, you don't belong in this temple, but you know what? That's not the issue. I am the Messiah. What is the answer? What is the sword that cuts through all the noise? It's that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is the answer. This is the right answer to every question in Sunday school. Who died for your sins? Jesus. Who loves you more than anything? Jesus. Who should you serve with your life? Jesus, right? Jesus is the answer. And all our job is as Christians, as followers of Jesus, wanting to win the world of worldviews, not to win arguments. It's to win people to Jesus by simply identifying how they're thirsty and offering them a drink of the water of life the only thing that will truly satisfy. And you go, man, that sounds so easy when you say it that way. Yeah, because it's supposed to be easy. Being a soul winner should be as easy as offering a cold cup of water to someone who's thirsty. Not, not trying to convince them that their salt intake is, you know, well, if you did this and your electrolytes, just give them a drink of water. Well, you, you shouldn't vote for, you need, to, you need to do, well, you shouldn't have said, you shouldn't be, here's a drink of water. Do you want a drink of water? This is what it looks like to lead people to Jesus. And then last thought on this, and we're done, is that she runs into the city and she evangelizes this whole city. She says, come and see the man who told me everything I ever did. Do you know that the person that you might start a conversation with on the bus, that you might start a conversation with at Autzen when it opens back up in Jesus' name, the person that you start a conversation with at work, the person that you have a, a conversation on Facebook where you don't try to fight that person or solve them or fi make, figure out their life and know the person that you simply introduced to Jesus could lead to multitudes of people being reached. You see, that probably the main problem for many Christians is what we do is we give our life to Jesus. And there's a period of time, there's a process of kind of disconnecting from the world 
So you can grow in your faith. But what we often do is we disconnect ourselves from all of our unsaved or lost relationships, people that don't know Jesus. And we miss this opportunity to run back into the city and tell, to tell people about Jesus. But, but we shouldn't do that, right? We, we need to connect and, and stay in those relationships. And we need to connect with people that have these relationships because one changed life opens many doors. This woman goes and ministers to a whole city. So if you're a follower of Jesus today, I want to encourage you with this. Start conversations, shine the light of Jesus, look for that spiritual thirst and offer people a drink. And don't try to fix and don't try to, you know, figure people out or convince or, you know, persuade or whatever. Just offer people a drink of the water of life and let them drink and find life. And you're going to see fruit in your life, okay? If you're watching this today and you're not a follower of Jesus, then what do you think it starts? It starts with you getting that drink, the water of life. You know, as a Christian, I've been a Christian since I was like four years old is when I like authentically gave my life to Jesus. There's been times where I felt unsatisfied and pursued sin and done other things. But at the end of it all, I recognize that the only time ever that I'm ever satisfied, fulfilled is when I'm right with God. When I'm, when I'm looking to Jesus, he's the author and finisher of my faith. And if, and if you're watching this today and you're like, you know what, I, I don't have that like place of, of safety. I don't have that, that drink of water. Like I am, I am unsettled and I am unfulfilled. The answer for you, I, I can't fix your politics and you can't fix mine. I, I don't have anything else other than to say, you need to give your life to Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Trust him with all you have. Throw yourself upon his mercy and become his follower. He offers you eternal life. He offers you this water of life. That is the answer. So if that's you today, I want to invite you to just pray this simple prayer with me. Just repeat or pray it with me. Dear Jesus, I confess my sin. I know that I have not lived up to your standard. I've done the wrong thing. I've hurt other people. I've hurt myself and I've hurt you. But I'm thirsty and I ask you to fulfill me. I ask you to save me. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. And I thank you for your grace and mercy that you gave your life for me on the cross and you made a way for me to be connected with God. So I give you my life today. I put my full faith and trust in you. Give me the grace to follow you the rest of my days. In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome. Hey, if you prayed that prayer today, I want to just invite you to text the word decided to the number that we're going to put up on the screen. And I don't have it here, so I can't see it. Otherwise, I would say it. But oh, there we go. 541-229-8848. Text the word decided to 541-229-8848 so that you can take those next steps as a follower of Jesus. It's a small step, okay, but it's a big one. And I want to encourage you to do that. If you want to get more connected with Joy Church and hop into this family and be a part and get more connected, I want to encourage you to text the word HOME to that same number, 541-229-8848. We're going to help you find out your next steps and how to get more connected. It's an awesome church family to be a part of. What a great what a great thing to do. Well, hey guys, we're done. I'll see you Wednesday night at 6.30. Let's go jump into connect groups, joyeugene.com slash live. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.